excuse me, First Chronicles chapter 15 this evening, please. First Chronicles 15. <clears throat> Get everybody <clears throat> settled there. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and stand. <clears throat> <clears throat> it does me no good to back away from this microphone when I'm attached to this microphone. I have force of habit. It's just absolute force of habit. First uh, Chronicles 15. Let's begin in verse number one. And David made him houses in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched for it a tent. And David said, None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. And David gathered all Israel together to Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord unto his place which he had prepared for it. And David assembled the children of Aaron and the Levites, and of the sons of Kohath, Uriel the chief, and his brethren, a hundred and twenty. Of the sons of Merari, Asiah the chief, and his brethren, two hundred and twenty. Of the sons of Gershom, Joel the chief, and his brethren, a hundred and thirty. Of the sons of Elizaphan, Shemaiah the chief, and his brethren, two hundred. Of the sons of Hebron, Eliel the chief, and his brethren, fourscore. Of the sons of Uziel, Aminadab the chief, and his brethren, an hundred and twelve. And David called for Zadok and Abiathar the priests, and for the Levites, for Uriel, Esaiah, and Joel, Shemaiah, and Eliel, and Aminadab, and said unto them, Ye are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves both ye and your brethren, that ye may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel unto the place that I have prepared for it. For because ye did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us, for that we sought him not after the due order. So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel, and the children of the Levites bear the ark of God upon their shoulders with staves thereon, as Moses commanded according to the word of the Lord. And David spake to the chief of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be singers with instruments of music, psalteries and harps and cymbals, sounding by lifting up the voice with joy. So the Levites appointed Heman the son of Joel and of his brethren Asaph the son of Berechiah and of the sons of Merari their brethren Ethan the son of Cushai and with them their brethren of the second degree, Zechariah, Ben, Jaziel, Shemaramoth, Jehiel, Uni, Eliah, Benaiah, and Messiah, and Mattathiah, and Eliphalaph, and Machnaiah, and Obed-Edom, and Jile, the porters. So the singers, Heman, Asaph, and Ethan, were appointed to sound with cymbals of brass. And Zechariah and Aziel and Shemeramoth and Jehiel and Uni and Eliab and Messiah and Benaiah with psalteries on Alamoth. <clears throat> and Mattathiah and Elephalel and Machnaiah and Obed-Edom and Jile and Azaziah with harps on the Shemenoth to excel. 
And Kenea, chief of the Levites, was for song. He instructed about the song because he was skillful. And Berechiah and Elkanah were doorkeepers for the ark. And Shebaniah and Jehoshaphat and Nethanael and Amasai and Zechariah and Manaeah and Eliezer with priests did blow with their trumpets before the ark of God. And Obed-Edom and Jehiah were doorkeepers for the ark. So David and the elders of Israel and the captains over thousands went to bring up the ark out of, of the covenant out of the Lord God out of the house of Obed-Edom with joy. And it came to pass when God helped the Levites that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord that they offered seven bullocks and seven rams. And David was clothed with a robe of fine linen and all the Levites that bear the ark and the singers and Kenea the master of the song with the singers David also had upon him an ephod of linen. Then all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouting, with the sound of the cornet, and with trumpets, and with cymbals, making a noise with psalteries and harps. And it came to pass, as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came to the city of David, that Michael, the daughter of Saul, looking out at a window, saw King David dancing and playing, and she despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched for it, and they offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings before God. And when David had made an end of offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord, and he dealt to every one of Israel, both man and woman, to every one a loaf of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. And he appointed certain of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord and to record and to thank and praise the Lord God of Israel, Asaph the chief, and next to him Zechariah, Jael, Shemermoth, Jehiel, Mattathiah, Eliab, Benaiah, Obed-Edom, Jael with the psalteries and with harps, but Asaph made a sound with cymbals. Benaiah also and Jehaziel the priests and trumpets continually before the ark of the covenant of God. And we're going to stop there this evening, and <clears throat> this will be our passage. Father, we pray your help <clears throat> to appreciate that these are your words written for your, our instruction, your purposes. They are to teach us, to instruct us, to encourage us. I pray your blessing upon our time together for the sake of your name and because of your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may, of course, be seated. Well, it really has been a couple of weeks since we have been in this book. And I want to just remind, begin by reminding us that the book of First Chronicles <clears throat> begins its story with Adam, with the very first man. Adam is, in fact, the very first word of the book, where we're reading it in Hebrew. And it takes us all the way through, by the time we get to Second Chronicles, <clears throat> to a Persian man by the name of Cyrus. And so between Adam and Cyrus is about 3,500 years. That's a long time by almost anybody's measurement. God has then, by design, been very deliberate 
in what information he tells us in those 3,500 years. Were he to tell us everything, we would never get through the material. And everything is in a true sense unimportant because it is only those things that contribute to the overall story of our salvation through Christ that are worthy of note. This is a book that is about worship. Not, not just the Bible, but Chronicles. What are we to take from this book? What were the people who received it? For And we'll come back to this at the very end. Obviously, it's written for us, it's Bible. But its target audience were the returning captives, the Israelites who had watched their nation be devastated and who really in despair and discouragement had gone back to the homeland and were attempting to cobble back together Judaism, the worship of God as they knew it. And it would never, ever look the same. And it hasn't, by the way, folks. It hasn't looked the same since. This is not something that we tackle in the book of Chronicles, but never again from the writing of Chronicles until this day, January 7, 2024, has Israel offered an animal sacrifice. They have never done it. They don't have the wherewithal to do it. They don't have the necessary items with which to do it. They don't have the geography with which to do it. So it's never going to be the same in certain elements, and yet it is the same God and the same people, and ultimately, for our purposes, what we will focus on are the same promises. First Chronicles is heavily devoted then to the kingdom of David, but even that is selective. His failings are virtually ignored. There will be one that is dealt with, but there's no mention of Bathsheba. All the code words are there, all the clues are there, but there's no mention of Bathsheba. There's no discussion about the Civil War. There's no mention of Absalom and all of the heartache that was attached to him. It's not a biography of David. It is and I may come to regret this, more a biography of worship than it is a biography of David. But David is instrumental in Israel's worship. And in fact, there's a sense, and this is something we'll really begin to turn our attention on in the not-too-distant future, David is really critical to Israel's worship. He adds a component that did not exist up until his time. We will get to that. <clears throat> David has, since chapter 13, been trying to get the most important piece of religious furniture back to Jerusalem. This has been the task of his kingdom. The, the single solitary objective of the kingdom has been to bring the Ark of the Covenant to the capital city. That would require David to secure the capital city. That would require God to secure the kingdom. 
And that is going to require the movement, the physical movement of the tabernacle from where it had been to Jerusalem. David has an ark but no temple. The people who are on the receiving of the the end of this book have a temple but no ark. But again, it is the same God and they have the same promises. If you recall in chapter 13, David attempted to bring the ark to Jerusalem with great enthusiasm and with great dedication, but in complete disobedience to what the Bible taught about moving the ark. And God made a breach. That curious little expression in our King James Bible that refers to God punching a hole in their plans. And God broke through and brought the whole thing to a standstill. With that, the ark once again is set aside, put in place. Now what? We have no idea of the steps that the people in David went through to get to the right way of moving the ark. We only know that they did because that's our passage for tonight. We're going to do as we have been doing in Chronicles. We're going to kind of walk through the events. There's a little bit of a story that is told, and then we will extract the best that we can some applications. We're not going to go ahead and reread the chapter, but I will make note to you of the way that it unfolds. In verse number 1 of chapter 15, chapter 15, 1 begins with David preparing a physical place for the ark. David is secure in Jerusalem. He He makes for himself houses. He is the king. And he finds a place for the ark of the covenant to have its permanent dwelling place. This is the goal. You were told at the beginning that the, point of the, the title of the message this evening is the kingdom of David, putting God first. This is all of David's focus. It is not about putting David first. It is about putting God first. And of course we know that the significance of the Ark of the Covenant is that it is the piece of furniture that emblemizes God's presence. The way that God is operating, folks, just like the way that God operated in the time of Christ was that God became human. The way that God operated and is that in those days he confined himself to the ark. That is where you could find him. That was where his presence was. And of all the people on the earth, God had chosen to live with the Jews. He could have chosen to live with the Philistines or the Syrians or the Babylonians, or the Amorites, or the Canaanites. Of all the ites that we read about in the Bible, he could have chosen any. He chose the Israelites. They would be his people. They have entered into this covenant that we know as the Mosaic Covenant, the Ten Commandments, that will govern their relationship. And David, being an extremely godly man, wants God's presence in the capital city. And so a place is prepared for the ark. It is a deliberate place. And as our attention will turn a little bit later, David will want to do more with reference to a dwelling place for God. But he does at least this. There is the preparation of a place. Prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched for it a tent, a tabernacle, 
the tabernacle is, a tabernacle is constructed. Then in verse number 2, down through verse number 15, David not only prepares a place, David prepares the people. He is exercising, folks, for the benefit of the nation, the right kind of spiritual leadership. And he is very sensitive to the proper roles that everybody has within the scope and realm of worship. And as I mentioned, somewhere between chapter 13 and the debacle of moving it on a wagon, in chapter 15, David and the Israelites have evidently gone back to the text of Scripture, back to Exodus and Leviticus, and have learned how the ark should be moved. And David points this out. Chapter 15, verse number 2, David said, none ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. Why is that summary of the rest of verse number 2? Because the Bible says so. Because the Bible says so. Governed by the scripture. It is found, by the way, in Numbers chapter 3 and verse number 30, among other places. The chief of the house of the father of the families of Kohathites shall be Elizaphan, the son of Uziel, and their charge shall be the ark and the table and the candlesticks and the altars and the vessels of the sanctuary with a minister, and the hanging, and all the services thereof. Or Deuteronomy 31.25, Moses commanded the Levites which bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, Take this book of the law, put it in the side of the Ark of the Covenant to the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against thee. Nobody but the Levites were to move the Ark. And they weren't to lay hands on it. They were to move it carefully. And so David gathers all in verse number 3. David gathered all Israel to Jerusalem. It's going to be a nationwide event of moving the ark, but only the Levites are going to carry it. And he gets them all together, and then he reminds them of God's disfavor, verse number 13. Because ye did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us, for that we sought him not after the due order. And so there is a fresh headstone with Uzzah's name on it because they did not do it after the due order. And the priests of the Levites, themselves being godly men, verse number 14, take the proper steps. They sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. So David prepares the place for the ark to reside and David prepares the people for the moving of the ark. Because this is a really big deal, folks. This is a really big issue to David and the Lord. And then in verse number 16 through verse number 24, David provides music. And this is something that we will spend more time developing later on because Chronicles done, does. But there had not been music. When you read Exodus, I'm not saying that nobody ever sang. I'm saying there is no formal music attached to worship at the, at the Ark of the Temp Covenant or the tabernacle from the time of Moses to the time of David. 
there's the ritual, there are the sacrifices, there are the daily offerings and the weekly offerings and the monthly offerings and the annual offerings, there are the gatherings and the assembling, there is the meeting of God there, but there is no music until David comes. And Chronicles gives a lot of time talking about the way David organized worship in the tabernacle that would become the temple that became the pattern for the nation of Israel. David never steps into the role of a priest. He never crosses that boundary, which would have cost him possibly his life and certainly the kingdom. He never steps into the place of the prophet in a formal sense. When you observe David's relationships with his counselors, his relationship with the priests and the Levites is always respectful. And when he deals with the prophets, his relationship with them is always respectful. He seeks their advice, he heeds their words, but he never intrudes into their office. But he does write most of Israel's music. He, is, he really is, folks, the main musician of Israel. All of those psalms that he wrote were to be used in temple worship. And then in verses 25 through 28, David himself participates in the movement of the ark. He doesn't delegate this. He participates in it personally. And he identifies, as do all of those who are involved physically in the moving, he identifies with the sacred. The Levites and the priests in 1513 sanctified themselves or 1514, they sanctified themselves. And part of that sanctification was the wearing of appropriate attire, which in this case heavily emphasizes linen. Linen was the lightest weight fabric that they had. And God is very clear that priests were to wear linen so as to minimize sweating. He didn't want his priests to be sweaty mess when they ministered. And so they were to wear linen underneath their uniform. And that would be, by the way, the way I think that you should think of what the high priest wore. It was a uniform that he put on that reflected his position and his ministry to the people of Israel. So the priests wore linen pants and they wore linen hats and they wore linen robes. Prophets tended to do this. Samuel put on linen, 1 Samuel 2.18. David put on linen, 1 Chronicles 15.26. And so, with everybody properly prepared, with everybody understanding who would move the ark and how they would move the ark, the procession finally moves into the city of Jerusalem and arrives safely. Verse number 26, and it came to pass when God helped the Levites that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, which whatever the nature of that help is, we're not told. The point, folks, is this. In chapter 13, God himself impeded the movement of the ark. And in chapter 15, God assists in the moving of the ark. They offered seven bullocks, seven rams, 
Verse number 27, David is attired. Verse 28, thus all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouting, with sounds of the cornet, with trumpets and cymbals, making a noise with psalteries and harps. And then there is one sour note. And that's verse 29. One sour note. Came to pass as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came to the city of David that Michael, the daughter of Saul, looking out at the window, saw King David dancing and playing, and she despised him in her heart. And at this, I'm going to ask if you would, please. We'll come back to 1 Chronicles. But this is worth a moment or two in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Let's go back, 2 Samuel 6, let's go back to verse number 14. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was girded with a linen ephod, like a vest, like a vestment. <clears throat> so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought, the ark, they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it, and David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And as soon as David had made an end of offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he dealt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well to the women as men, to everyone a cake of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. So all the people departed, everyone to his house, and then David returned to bless his household. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, and you can only imagine, folks, the contempt that drips from her voice as she says this, how glorious was the king of Israel today who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself. And David said unto Michael, it was before the Lord which chose me before thy father and before all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of Israel. Therefore will I play before the Lord, and I will be yet be more vile than thus, and will be base in mine own sight. And of the maidservants which thou hast spoken of, of them shall I be had in honor. Therefore Michael the daughter of Saul had no child unto the day of her death. And just in the off chance you don't understand the relationship, Michael is David's wife, one of his wives. And when he was still a very young man, when he was still in the employ of King Saul, he was given Michael as a prize, and she became his wife. To go back to 1 Chronicles chapter 15, all of that is not put in there. There's enough put in there that we can go back and look at the other record of it, which we just did. Two things, folks. Let me, let me just kind of deal with, let me just kind of walk through the events the way that they're portrayed in Samuel. 
and then just make a couple of observations about them, right? Michael is furious because David exposed himself inappropriately before a bunch of people. That is her assessment of what happened. You're out there jumping around, dancing up and down, exposing yourself, and everybody saw it. You ought to be embarrassed at your behavior. To which David pointedly replied, I was dancing for the Lord. I was dancing for the Lord. That's what she should have seen. I was dancing for the Lord. And then he goes on to explain that if necessary, he will humiliate himself even further for the Lord. I will be more vile. If you think I was inappropriate in dancing before the Lord, I can be more inappropriate than that. But I will be honored by those servants that you disdain. And then there is, folks, right, so that, and and this is put so that we who read have no doubt about who is in the wrong. Okay? Don't ever read this and go, Well, you know, David probably shouldn't have done that. Because the narrator is very clear that God weighed in with his verdict. And he found no fault with David. And Michael was barren. Now, whether that was because this functionally put an end to the marriage. Or because God closed her womb, we have no idea. What we do know is this. This was her punishment. Now, two things about that. We are reminded once again of the contrast between the house of Saul and the house of David. Saul was an ungodly man who unfortunately participated in the transmission of his ungodliness to his daughter Michael. She found no joy in the Lord. She found no celebration in the ark coming back. There was nothing about this occasion that gladdened her heart or rejoiced her heart at all. But secondly, folks, right? David has provided a place for the ark. He has prepared the people. He has provided music. And he has prioritized God. Given the choice between making his wife happy and making God first, David chose the necessary thing, which was God. It is the requirement, folks, that God be above everything. There is, there is no way for David to side with Michael in this thing. And he chose the Lord's side. He prioritized God. This is something that all of us are to do, but if I could just take this moment to point out, gentlemen, it is our responsibility to lead our homes spiritually, even if that leadership is unpopular in its exercise. God didn't put us in the head of our family so that we could be popular. He put us at the head of the family because he wanted males to lead their homes and to make the right spiritual decisions and to insist upon the right spiritual priorities. That's the responsibility. 
when it is done, it is not always. I just heard a, I just heard a situation. I just heard a story. Right? It's not anybody at Westwood Heights. It's not, it's, not, it's not even anybody that I know. But somebody just told me about a family that left a church, and the man said to the pastor on the way out, I'm going to go to a church that my wife likes. To which I thought, well, you might as well just stay home and watch football. If that's the way the home operates, you should probably just stay home and watch football. Same thing. Same, same end to it. Anyway, back to the text. Chapter 16, then, verses 1 through 6. David puts the ark in the place that he has prepared so that it may have its rightful place among Israel. That's a major part of the story. And in fact, without getting into it, we will look at this, Lord willing, in verse number 7, then on that day David delivered first this psalm to thank the Lord into the hand of Asaph and his brethren. Right? David not only put the musicians in place, David prepared some music. We'll get to that because we really need, that, that's going to take some explanation. Uh, not, that, not that you're stupid, but if you look at it, that passage carefully, folks, it's not, your Bible seems to indicate that it's a psalm and actually it's three psalms that you have there. There's a, there's a theme to what's going on. But David puts the ark in the place that he prepares so that it may have its rightful place. This is not just simply a religious formality. This is not just something that we have to do. It is something that we want to do because we want to be in the right position and the right relationship and the right orientation with God that we might enjoy his blessing. And one of the things that will emerge is the way in which David enjoyed the blessing of the Lord. That will come a little bit later. So they bring in the ark of the God, ark of God, and they put it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched, and they offered sacrifices and peace offerings, and they make all the offerings, and David, out of his own pocket, gives away food and drink to everybody, and the celebration comes to an end. But while the celebration comes to an end, the worship does not. Verse number four, he appointed certain of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord and to record and to thank and praise the Lord God of Israel. And then he gives, we have a list of those names. So that at this point, folks, within the narrative, these people are being reminded that under David, right, the necessary steps were taken to prepare the nation to be able to rightly worship the Lord. And there are setbacks, and there are obstacles, and there is time involved, and there are discouraging events, and yet the pieces are put into place to worship the Lord. David places the ark in the place that he prepared so it may have its rightful place. Which brings me then finally to this. How are we to think of this and interpret this? And so let, let's do as we have done. Let's work our way backwards because, again, the target audience is not the contemporary church. The, con the target audience are the returning remnant. who return after 70 years, folks, to discover that, of course, everything was exactly as it had been left by the Babylonians in ruins. And then you add 70 years of whatever the wind and whatever little rain they get and whatever the sunshine does and whatever the wild animals do to it, to this their homeland. And now they are tasked to reestablish worship. And so we have... For instance, a man like Nehemiah who goes 
and takes a survey trip and notices how bad the protective wall is. And God lays it on his heart to rebuild the wall. And Nehemiah rebuilds the wall. And we have Ezra and Haggai who are going to undertake the task of rebuilding the temple. It will be nothing compared to Solomon's temple. Nothing at all. But it will be a temple. And the people will be discouraged. And they will need preaching to encourage them. And God will sometimes yell at them for failing to get it done. And part of the instruction and the encouragement that God gives them is this book. Remember? It wasn't always easy for David. Remember? They didn't always do everything right the first time. Remember? It took a lot of time to get the pieces in place. But when they did, they enjoyed the Lord's blessing. Within the broader storyline of Israel, right? David is going to establish the house of God. His ancestors are going to destroy the house of God. And a pagan is going to rebuild the house of God. And I'm talking about the physical structure. David is going to give much of the rest of his life to putting together the necessary materials to build a temple. That his descendants will spend much of their time destroying. Only to have the command to rebuild it be given by a pagan man, Cyrus. Second Chronicles 36, we will someday get there. So the primary focus of the passage, folks, is, is this group of people who need this instruction and this perspective on their ministry. But I would remind us also that one of the takeaways from this passage is that the ark is not intrinsically dangerous. It's not like radioactive material. It is disobedience that is dangerous. The ark was where God was. And God told them how they could move it when it needed to be moved. And it was moved often without incident. And my application to us is this, folks. Fearing the Lord in the sense of being careful to obey is not an enemy to joy and enthusiasm. That is not its purpose. The purpose of insisting upon genuine biblical obedience is not to deprive the people of joy in their Christianity, but ensure their joy. When they moved the Ark of the Covenant properly, folks, look at the joy that followed. Look at the blessing and celebration that went along with it, not to mention the fact that God didn't kill anybody in the doing of it. It is not like we have to choose one. I, okay, I'm going to either choose happiness or obedience. Because everybody knows that obedience brings unhappiness. Doesn't have to, not supposed to. And then finally, folks, I would just point out to you that there is much for us to learn by looking backwards at biblical history, not just history for the sake of history, but history as it is dealt with in the Bible. You know, one of the failings, and, and I am not fundamentally opposed to the modern church, but one of the failings of the American church is its unwillingness to learn anything by looking backwards. 
its insistence only upon looking at what is going on immediately around us and reacting to that. The ark is gone. These are people who have Second Chronicles. They can read Second Chronicles. This is not simply a rehash of Second Chronicles. It is a necessary perspective for the people to use in their situation and their circumstances. Let's pray tonight. <clears throat> Father, as we have discussed, as your people have discussed oftentimes in recent days, These are not the greatest of times for the church. These do not seem to be the most glorious days of Christianity. But you are still sovereign and you are still working out your plan and your promises are still true. And there is coming a great kingdom. May we be ready for it. And may we be living in light of it, please. May we all know Christ as our Savior. May we all know Christ as our Master. And I pray this for us in Jesus' name. Amen.